as men, we can become preoccupied with financial success. I've certainly felt that at times myself. But the team and I have designed a quiz that's going to help you improve your intentions to achieve better results for your career and business. And there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. But for now, enjoy listening. So I say to her, listen, I've got this crazy idea. I need you on board for it. There's a lot of risk involved, but I think this could be a possible solution to my dilemma. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Anyone who's spent more than a few years in the working world will know that careers are a trajectory of ups and downs. The company that Anuj worked for had just been bought out by a big telecommunications company. He'd gone from loving his job to absolutely hating it. The culture had changed. They wanted to trim expenses at every opportunity. And every day he was getting more and more stressed with the reality of having a young family and a desperate work situation. Even though I hated my job, I actually did have a really nice team. Um, and I did like quite a few of my colleagues. So it wasn't all doom and gloom, but I was suddenly told by my boss that I needed to let them go, I needed to make them redundant. And I needed to do that quite quickly. So I really liked these guys. One of them I'd worked with for four years. The other person was relatively new, but no one really likes to deliver this kind of bad news. Someone's uh, not gonna have a job anymore. So that evening, I'm at home and I'm sat at the dining table with my head in my hands. Peter comes in and she says, what's up? And just, I don't really want to talk about it, but I kind of have to. So she keeps prodding and then I eventually say, I've got to make redundant two of my colleagues or two of my team members rather, uh, Sarah and David. So I said to Peter, you know, you know, I hate this job. You've seen how stressed I am and how upset and depressed I am about working for a company like this. But I say to her, listen, I've got this crazy idea. I need you on board for it. There's a lot of risk involved, but I think this could be a possible solution to my dilemma. She's always been very supportive of me. So she says, listen, I trust what you you think and you know you can share what you what your idea is and let's discuss it and I'll I want to support you. We ended up talking about it. We had to talk about lots of different scenarios and she had loads of questions about what might happen. And then we agreed a plan of action going forward. I'd started this conversation quite nervous and, and, and not really wanting to be that forthcoming because it was an uncomfortable topic. And then by the end of this conversation, I felt full of confidence and actually in a weird way, I was quite looking forward to the next day, even though I didn't know what was gonna happen. So I had to speak to my team members at 2 p.m. because my boss had said I had to, you know, had to get on with this. So I needed to speak to my boss at some point before them to propose my plan. And um, so I managed to get 12 o'clock in the diary with him. So I booked this meeting room for midday, it's a tiny room. He walks in, I'm quite nervous. I just want to get this over and done with, but I'm afraid I might just blurt everything out in the wrong order. So he comes in and we sit down and we're doing some small talk, but I can't really deal with that. So I just said, listen, let's dispense with the small talk. I need to talk about something a bit serious here. And he looked a bit like, well, what's going on here? Because I'm usually quite lighthearted. So he's not used to me being excessively serious. 
And then I said, listen, I've got something to propose to you. So obviously I've got to deliver this bad news to Sarah and David. I really don't want to do it. I actually went home last night and I talked to Peter about, instead of uh, making those guys redundant, how about I volunteer for redundancy instead? Uh, you can keep those guys and get me off your books instead. And I wasn't sure of what to expect. I thought he could be really annoyed, but actually a smile started to show on his face, <laughs> uh, which was not quite what I was expecting. And he said, well, listen, if you want to leave, we can definitely talk about that. But I still want to get rid of those two guys. And I said, listen, there's no need to get rid of them. They, they can do the work. You don't need a senior manager like me. But I think his orders from on high were to just reduce headcount, whatever way. Clearly, Anuj, you're a man with a lot on your shoulders right now. You've got two very young kids, a baby and a toddler. You've got Peter, your wife, who is clearly doing a tremendous job being a mother and wife to the family, but is in need of your support with with what you're bringing into the, the family financially. So to have her support must have been incredibly important to you as well to make that kind of decision. Yeah, it was vital. It was vital. She was on maternity pay as well, which which meant it was a reduced income. So there were lots of kind of very practical measures. Um, but I think she very much realised that I wasn't going to find some happiness unless I took myself out of what was a relatively toxic situation, as in I just wasn't happy where I was. I think a lot of men can relate to this if they've, they've been in a similar scenario, and I think a lot of men have. How would the situation have been different if your wife wasn't supportive? Because, I mean, I've spoken to many guys before who are not in that situation that their their wife has got this anxiety or or this fear of, you know, the, the kind of financial situation they'll be in. But Peter was just there to support you all the way. Yeah, it's very difficult to answer that question because I guess I knew that I could propose this because it would be well received and that we'd have a good discussion around it. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily be blindsided with a kind of very aggressive pushback. Uh, she asked some really sensible questions about what we're going to do practically. And she really tested what I was planning to do in the absence of being in this job that I didn't like. Uh, so it wasn't just go and do what you need to. It was let's have a talk about what else this means. Um, so it was a collaborative and supportive and uh, like a bit of a co-created kind of situation as well. Because a lot of a lot of people talk about men are in this sort of provider role, this protector role. Did you very much feel like that in that moment in 2015? Very much so, yeah. You know, I'd... Uh, had a very kind of conventional South Asian upbringing, very focused on academics and going to university and getting a job as a lawyer. Uh, but I'd always had this kind of yearning for something more. And that's why I'd moved from different jobs. And the reason I'd ended up at this, this company that I didn't enjoy, I worked for a great company called Blinkbox. And it was, it was my ideal role. After having bounced around a few different things. I found somewhere that was really vibrant. It was two entrepreneurs who the founders who were still running the business. We had a very big parent company, so we were well-funded. 
And there was a real dynamism there and it was a real kind of, let's break some rules, let's try and do some things differently. Uh, and I love the cultural side of stuff. And I also had a, a place where I could offer up my ideas and, you know, you know, they were well received and, and they backed me on certain things. So I started a, a department, I bought on the team, etc. And it was brilliant. Everyone was going amazingly. <laughs> but then the company started struggling financially and had to be sold to another company. And that's the, that's the telecoms company that I ended up joining, which I didn't enjoy. Must have been must have been difficult to go from this sort of you can really display this entrepreneurial flair. They call it like an entrepreneur, don't they, within a a, a bigger organization. So you've got this sort of freedom, this creative freedom, and then you have to go into this huge organization. We won't mention the name, but it's it's a massive organization. That must have been quite a difficult shift for you, right? Yeah, yeah. And I really noticed the difference in culture and uh, approach to to pride in, in work and output. Uh, and there was a stark difference. And I think that's really what kind of made me have issues with it. But to go back to this idea of the male provider, that's what kind of kept me in, in that role because I had to keep going, uh, having a young family. And, you know, my wife had a good job too. So it wasn't like... I was the sole provider, but she was on maternity leave. And, and so there was a lot of pressure on me to keep this going. And yeah, having to balance that between being actually quite unhappy. How did you feel staying in a huge corporate job that you didn't like for 15 months? That feels like a long time. What were the overriding feelings and emotions you were feeling in that time? I really became disconnected with any purpose. Um, like the quality of work was poor, just generally. And what I'd really liked about being at Blinkbox is that everyone really cared about doing a good job for each other. And I didn't get that from this new company. And so consequently, I, I think my work product suffered in, in terms of quality. And actually, I was just in this sort of vicious cycle of starting to want to get out. I wanted to get out. I was looking at jobs that I really didn't want. I was going for a few interviews for them and I wasn't getting the jobs. And, you know, this was further denting my confidence because I couldn't really see a way out. You mentioned before about the legal career that you went down and, and becoming a lawyer. And for the fact that you're from a British South Asian family, I'm curious, when we think in the UK about British South Asian families, we think of these stereotypical roles, these jobs that they almost directed into, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a lawyer, and you went into that one of those areas where you went into becoming a lawyer. In retrospect, was that your purpose in life, do you think, to go down that legal route? Or do you think it was the influence of your family or a combination of the two? Very interesting question because I've, with having children of my own now who are, my eldest is about to start secondary school, I'm very much asking these questions about how we approach things. There is an element as an immigrant of needing security. So you looked to kind of old school professions to, that provide that for you. So certainly there was parents pushing me actually more in the direction of medicine. Uh, I didn't want to do that. So I very early on said I didn't. And I actually kept rebelling about stuff. And, and I left university and went into media and not really knowing what I was doing, to be fair. And then, like a lot of lawyers, I decided to go to law school because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, I knew I wasn't stupid and 
so I just looked at it and, and there is subconsciously probably something that I thought would be met with approval from my parents. Mm. And I'm interested in the kind of the change of direction that you've gone in since leaving this big organisation. I nearly said the name of, but what, what direction did you go in and, and does that fit in with your, your purpose as a, as a man nowadays? It's been a, a merry journey. I set up a business with a friend, a health and fitness business for over 50s. I really enjoyed that. It was not something we were going to continue, but it was a great foray into the world of entrepreneurship. Um, and I've kept kind of as a freelance lawyer in the background. And now I've actually, it's really good question because what I've realised, I think we were always led to believe that, that we should find a job that we love. And I just don't think that's a realistic expectation, actually. I think a job that allows you to to do what you want to do is is a much better way to look at it because there's always going to be bits that you like and bits that you don't like of whatever you're doing. And now I'm really enjoying it because I'm truly freelance and I only need to do a certain number of hours a week. That gives me a lot of hours to do other things, spend more time with my kids, uh, take them to all kinds of acting football, whatever classes they need to. Um, but also I do a lot of my own kind of personal stuff, so going to the gym, meditation, uh, all the hippie stuff I'm, I'm loving at the moment. Well, going back to that, that difficult decision that you and your wife, Peter, made, you know, it's clearly paid off for, for you and your, your family because you're in a, a good place psychologically spiritually emotionally physically all these things you're in you're in a good place so where would your life have been as a man if you'd have stuck out that big corporate job where would you be right now do you think if you could envisage the anuge of of 2023 but stuck in that job well look if if i look back and i reflect on it um i feel like i would have made some big change at some point anyway i i don't think i would have took taking this line down for indefinitely. Um, however, it did free me up and I've gone down a lot of blind alleys since then. It's not, nothing is this perfect path. Um, and where I am now in, in the last sort of nine months, things have really started to come together on, on many levels, um, mostly my approach to life. Um, but that's been after a lot of pain and, and, and things not working out. I think people often think that if they're jumping, particularly in career change from something, they they want an instant hit. They want something to be you know, instantly that's going to pay them as much as the thing that they're doing and be more fulfilling or, or whatever and, and, be, and to be the right thing as well. And actually, you're probably about four or five steps away from that in any one point. Um, but you need to make that first step in order to get there to the ultimate destination. And there is no ultimate destination because this changes over time as well. So there is a kind of fluidity and adaptability that you need to be open to. And I do think that actually in this current environment now of being able to have, you know, quote unquote, portfolio careers, there's an opportunity to experiment with a few different things, actually. And that's kind of where I'm at, you know. I do my legal stuff for two, three days a week. And then I've got a, a kind of a play area where I can experiment with a few things. I've got a podcast too uh, about the cannabis industry, which is you know pretty maverick. But uh, that's been a great 
experience for me. And one of the things that I really love about that is the first thing that I ever, ever did with no outcome in mind at all. Um, just, just roll the dice. Uh, and again, I don't think I would have been in that space if I hadn't have quit my job a few years ago and, and, you know, and freed myself to do things like that. I wanted to ask you about your role because I'm always curious as to what kind of hat do you put on with those people? Not just necessarily when you were telling them that they were going through redundancy, but your role as a supervisor, leader, older brother, kind of uncle. What sort of what sort of hat were you wearing with with these people? Yeah, very good question. I felt very paternalistic, um, and probably because it, it was a time of life for me as well. Where I had very young children, so themes of fatherhood were very big in my life at that point and they they still are but you know it was very fresh at that point um and so there was a, a kind of gentle support that I wanted to offer them uh, to remind them that they were still young they're in their 20s and um you know they've got a whole career ahead of them and there were lots of opportunities out there um and like I said before this this idea of a feeling of rejection that comes from um, redundancy, I'm not wanted by my employer, is pretty big. And I'm, I'm really glad that I never felt that, you know, profoundly, but I definitely know that lots of people do, and they, they certainly did. And so it was a question of really supporting them and helping them in their onward journey, helping them prepare for interviews, uh, you know, opening up my kind of address book to sort of make introductions for them too. And um, yeah, support would probably be the single word I'd use. One thing I found really attractive from Anoush's story is just how supportive his wife Peter was, that you feel you can talk to about anything and they're willing to back you 100% in a decision. Even when you feel like you're trying to move mountains, they would always be there for you unconditionally, no matter what. Anoush clearly had a track record of being a hard-working person and a real go-getter. He oozed integrity. So when he suggested taking redundancy, his wife Peter knew that this was a pragmatic decision and not an emotional one. And many times we can allow our emotions to override our logic, but not Peter in this case. She trusted him to do the right thing. It also made me think about the amount of people that stay in a job that they hate for lack of self-reflection or fear, or even a combination of the two. It's almost like they don't realize that not making a decision is still a decision that they've made to stay doing something that they hate. And I think we've all been there at times, haven't we? It's interesting because I was reading up on this and according to The Seven Hidden Reasons Employees Leave, a book by Lee Branham, 89% of bosses wrongly think that their employees quit because they want more money. And I know I've done that before as a business owner, when in reality, and I think we're seeing something of a revolution in this area from Gen Z's towards work, that they're leaving because they don't feel seen, heard or valued, rightly or wrongly. Who is the Peter in your life? Who could you turn to when the shit hits the fan and there's a difficult decision to be made? Someone that's going to listen and allow you to be seen and heard. Surely we all want that in turbulent times. Surely we all want that in turbulent times. And if you are lucky enough to have a Peter in your life, treasure them. One last thing I want to say about today's episode is that as previously stated, Anoush played the role of protector, but he wore many hats in his role as a man in today's story. 
it's absolutely key that we know ourselves as much as we possibly can in order to grow as men. And that's one of the premises of this show is to help you and help myself as well. Hence why we decided to put together a very short quiz for you to figure out what type of man you are. It takes just five minutes to complete and it could be exactly what you need right now in order to get to the next stage of your life, whether that's in your health, wealth, love, or even happiness. Head to storiesofmenpodcast.com to take the quiz. We'll also put a link in the description too. Enjoy. I mentioned at the start about us as men caring a lot about financial success. The truth is, we all want to make money and excel in our work. But understanding what drives us to our definition of success is important. That's why the team and I have designed a simple, easy quiz that's going to help you learn a lot about yourself and help set realistic targets for success. It takes less than three minutes to complete. We as men can be incredibly successful, driven individuals, but how we get there is important to understand, particularly for our mental health. Through the man quiz, you'll answer questions about your identity as a modern man. The aim is to better understand who you are to achieve the results you want in your life and work. Click the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.